Welcome to this week's sermon at St. James Church, where we gather as a community to explore the wisdom of the Word of God. Each week, we delve into the teachings that guide us on our spiritual journey, nurturing our faith, and deepening our connection with God. Join us on this path as we seek to grow in our understanding of what it looks like to abide in Jesus together. Each week, our service starts at 9.30 a.m., where we come together in fellowship to worship and learn in the presence of the Lord. See you there. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Matthew, again, chapter 2, and we're going to be reading the story of the Magi coming to bring gifts to Jesus. And as we prepare our hearts for this, I'm just so... I don't know, that singing something about that last song really, really stuck out to me. A guitar and a vocalist and a congregation singing praises to our God. It's powerful. It shouldn't be that way. It's just a collection of a couple hundred voices saying the same thing. It's just words being said together. It shouldn't be that powerful. But yet, when the object of our worship is a holy and beautiful God... It turns into something magnificent. And so, friends, thank you for joining with us in that. And I pray that we will continue to worship together each and every week as we draw nearer and nearer to the God who draws near to us. This morning, Matthew chapter 2. Will you follow along as I read? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go down and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented with him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And skipping ahead to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he seated. If there's one thing that was a relative constant in my life, and it's one of the great paradoxes in my own life, is why I am not a Braves fan. Now, I don't hate the Braves, but I don't particularly like them. They're just kind of a blah team to me. But if you were in our house, riding in the car, we were listening to AM 940 to listen to Skip Carey talk about the Braves. Man, it feels like a bygone era. Baseball has this nostalgia. It has something about it that's just really, really special. The traditions that come with it. It is truly America's sport. 
It's an amazing thing. One of the things I was always fascinated with growing up watching baseball was that every single person who came into the game, if they were playing at home, had something called a walkout song. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Walkout song. Any of you ever been to a stadium and heard the walkout songs that everybody plays? Y'all need to get out more and go see some baseball games. The Montgomery Biscuits are right down the road. It's a fantastic mascot. It's great double-A baseball. You need to go watch it a little bit more, okay? But here's the thing. Whenever someone would walk out, they would play a snippet of a song that kind of describes that person's personality. Now, the old school approach is you want fear to be stricken into your opponent's when you walk out. So Trevor Hoffman, one of the great closers of the 90s and 2000s, would play Hell's Bells by ACDC when he would come out. Man, just striking fear into it. Because he was, man, he was a beast. He was an absolute beast. I'll never forget, I went to uh, L.A. a couple of years ago and got to see a Dodgers game. And Kenley Jansen, the closer for the Dodgers at that point, who was actually a good closer, came out to California Love. Now, I am not a huge California Love fan, but man, when that came on and I was in LA watching him come out to come close out the game, it was a two-to-one game, man, my heart just started pounding. It was exciting. And then the one, the two, that I remember growing up with the most, because Mariano Rivera is one of the greatest baseball players of all time, would always come out at Yankee Stadium to enter Sandman by Metallica. He'd come out and he'd throw one pitch over and over and over again. He'd throw a cutter over and over and over again. And is probably the greatest closer of all time. And then finally, again, not a super big Braves fan, but if you watch the Braves and chippers walk into the plate, what was it? It was Crazy Train coming out. I was like, man, I'd never heard that song. I wasn't allowed to listen to that song growing up, but man, I got to hear snippets of it every single night whenever Chipper came out. Can you tell I was homeschooled? Friends, our entrance and the entrance of these players, they convey something about the personality of that player and what's trying to be accomplished. The way that they entered the game set the tone for what they were trying to do. That's why some players do things like Yoenna Cespedes. He said he comes out to circle of life about our character. In the same way as we're talking about Jesus Christ entering into the world His entrance as the Son of God conveys the character of God. His entrance into this world conveys a little something about the king born as the king of the Jews into a manger. And it conveys a little something about this God that we serve. Now, one of the striking characteristics that we see in Matthew chapter 2, and it's one of my favorite passages to preach on, and it's because what you get is you get a foil in this. If you're not familiar with what a foil is, it's a literary device that shows you how to compare and contrast two different characters. And so Jesus being the protagonist in this story, what you find is there is a foil against him. If you notice here, there's a guy named King Herod. Now, King Herod resides in a palace currently in this story, and it's massive. And it's one of many that he has built for him to reside in. Now, what's interesting to me about King Herod is that he's not really a king in the true sense, because when we think of a king, we think of the top dog. Well, what's interesting about Herod is is he's simply king of his region. He still reports to the Roman Empire. 
But when he's residing in this palace in Jerusalem, he's residing in all the luxury and comfort that comes from selling out to the Roman Empire, from doing two major things. Number one is collecting taxes. Herod was partially a Jew. The peace. And if you did that and you remained in the good favor of the Roman Empire, you could reign as long as you wanted. Now, as soon as you stepped out of that, then you were eliminated. And Herod reigned for a close to 30 years. So that tells me one thing about Herod Herod was really good at playing politics, he stayed in power a really long time. And so when we enter into this story and we see Jesus entering into a manger, When you see him entering into a manger and you see Herod residing in Jerusalem, there's this contrast that's set up between the palace and the manger. And what's so interesting about the book of Matthew is, is at the very end of the book of Matthew, and we're going to get into this morning, as a little bit of a lens into who God is calling us to be because it's who God was in the flesh. And so on your handout, you have a couple of things that are right there that they say just blank versus blank. And we're going to walk through that. And that first blank at the very top is is God's entrance conveys God's character. Said that already. But the first uh, one of these, these contrasts that we're going to get into is number one, passivity. And if you need to know how to spell it, here it is. Passivity versus seeking. Passivity versus seeking. Now, the first contrast we see is not between Herod and Jesus. It's actually between Herod and the Magi. Now, these Magi are astrologers that come from a far and away distant land. They have no ties to the prophecies of the Israelites, which we see when they come to Jerusalem to the palace expecting to see a newborn king. And they have to ask, we saw his star rise. Where can we find him? And they tell him that it's in Bethlehem because it's this tiny, quaint little town. And Herod encounters them and he's disturbed by this proclamation that there could be another king of the Jews. How can that be? I am the king of the Jews. How can there be someone else out there who could take and threaten my power? And so what does he do? He tells them, go away and find him. And when you find him, come back and tell me because I want to worship him also. I've always found this really interesting. Bethlehem's not that far away from Jerusalem, especially for a king. But Herod decided to stay back in his palace rather than go seek out this king of the Jews. Even if it was for nefarious purposes, I'm like, Herod, if you're really that threatened, go find this king of the Jews. But what we find is that Herod is unbelievably passive in his faith. He stays behind and resides in the comfort of his palace rather than going to find this king of the Jews. He's presented with the truth that here has come this savior into the world. And rather than going and seeking him out, he decides to stay put. But yet the Magi, who have no ties to the prophecies of Israel, these foreigners in this land, continue to go and to seek out the king of the Jews. Herod suffered from something that the early church fathers called acedia. Another way that we would put this is the term sloth. When we use the term sloth, a lot of times it, it evokes images in us. 
of being lazy, of getting lots of sleep, of never moving. But when we look at the classic term acedia, what that means, it's really this lack of care. It is a version of being asleep, but it's more asleep to the spiritual demands of God's love on our lives. Herod, I think, suffered from that. I think he was so asleep to his own need for God that he didn't go and seek, whereas the Magi came and they sought over and over and over again, and they continued to follow the star until they found the king and bowed down and worshipped him. But yet this so-called king of the Jews decided to stay in the comfort of his own palace rather than go find the one who came into the world to save it. I see a little bit of Herod in my own life. And there's two ways that I recognize this. Because when we think of sloth, like I said, we think of this lack of inertia. We think of this idea that we're just asleep and we're lazy and we lay around all day. That's not really it. It's two things. Number one, it is that a little bit. For some of us, we just don't get moving. But for most of us, I would say the other way that sloth comes out in our lives is by how busy we are. Herod was busy building his own empire so much that he was distracted from his need for this God who came into the world. Being asleep to the demands of God's love is not simply laying on a couch and watching TV all day. It also consists of building our empire so much that we never spend time with other believers who encourage us to follow Jesus. It's so busy that we never spend time searching and seeking God's word through prayer and scripture. It's being so busy that we don't come together and worship and sing together. It's being so busy that we cannot see God because we've surrounded ourselves with such a forest of distractions that we've completely missed the point. I think Herod was so consumed with preserving and building his own empire that he could not see the king of the Jews and he was put right before him and right on his doorstep. But yet the magi who were so far away came searching and seeking and they found what they were searching for. But the second thing that we see from Herod, and this is a contrast with Jesus, is that Herod stands in power. Herod stands in power. You don't get to where Herod is without asserting power over other people. In fact, the story goes that Herod came to power through the manipulations of his father. And he began to build his empire more and more and more through manipulation and siding with different Roman factions. In fact, he flip-flopped a couple of times on different revolutions in the Roman Empire. And even when the revolution failed that he said he was on the side of, he was somehow able to weasel his way out of that and become back into the good graces of the attempted murdered Caesar. This man is a master of preserving his power and building it. He fought, he manipulated it for it. He was corrupt in what he did. And yet when we see Jesus step into this story, what do we see? We see him in a manger, submitting himself to a human body. A human body that needed to be taken care of by other human beings. Jesus needed parents. 
He needed to be nurtured by family. He needed to be fed. He needed to be changed. He needed to be clothed. He could not do any of this on his own as a baby. And so what we see is that this king of the Jews who is Herod is contrasted with the true king of the Jews who comes in humility. When we look at the, church, the history of the church, one of the earliest hymns that was sung in the church is speaking about this very thing. When it talks about Jesus, it says that he did not use his position as God for something to be manipulated to glorify himself. But rather, surrendering and humbling himself, he came in the form of a human being, in the form of a babe. And he continued to humble himself throughout his life, even to the point of death on a cross. So that God highly exalted him because of his humility. And so one king comes in power. And one king comes in humility. The last thing, and being a good preacher, it also starts with a P. Herod was all about protection. Jesus was all about surrender. We just talked about the Christ hymn in Philippians chapter 2 about him surrendering himself. But one thing that we know is that what gets you to a certain point is what has to be continued to maintain it. What do I mean by that? Remember I talked about Herod. He's struggling to get this power and he achieves it. But in order to achieve it, he had to, or to keep it, he had to keep doing what he did to achieve it. And so what he would do is he would put down any insurrections. He would bow and do everything that the Roman Empire would ask of him. And when he was threatened, his number one response was violence to protect himself. So we see here, whenever he learned of what happened to the the Magi, and the Magi left by a different way, Herod had all of the babies, the male children killed, who were under the age of two. He is protecting himself from this threat of a an upcoming revolution. And so one king kills and the other king is killed. Because if we fast forward to the end of our Gospels, the story comes to the conclusion of a resurrected Savior, but the reason he's resurrected is because he was sacrificed on a cross. And when we read in Matthew chapter 16, what we know is that the life of Jesus demonstrates that our God values surrender. And so Matthew chapter 16, Peter comes up to to Jesus. He wants to rise up in power and protect Jesus. And Jesus turned to him and he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind, in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their whole soul? 
Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus in this moment is is he's riding toward the cross. We're in the middle of him teaching his disciples and he's in this movement from birth to the cross and he's prophesying not just what his disciples must do, but he's prophesying also what he is willing to do. Friends, we serve a God who has a massive demanding call on our lives, but not one that he hasn't already gone ahead and done. The God that we serve invites us to seek him, to humble ourselves, and to surrender at all points. And what we learn from Herod is that Herod died not long after Jesus was born. He's remembered in books, but when you look at the Bible, he's remembered in one chapter. And the rest of history being redefined by this other king of the Jews. One king wanted to preserve himself. One king wanted to be comfortable and passive. The other king wanted all of the power. And he passed away with no lasting impact. But the king who came, the king who came humbly, the king who came and surrendered, his legacy is the one that continues to live on to this day. What I love about these first couple of chapters of Matthew is they're really a foundation for the rest of the story. The series we're in is called Upside Down Christmas. It's because Jesus brings a revolution into the world that we live. It's not a revolution that we often want, right? We want to the violent overthrow of everything unjust and everything that doesn't go our way. But our Jesus comes with a revolution of humility, surrender, love, grace, and joy. And his invitation is for us to follow in that pathway. You see, this is just the beginning of the revolution. And it starts with the coming of God who became man. And it continues on with the story of him discipling people and telling them, this is how you live according to my standards. And then it goes into this king being crucified and proclaimed king of the Jews, ironically, but yet it was oh so true. And then it happens that this king, he is raised from the dead, and his final words in the book of Matthew are a look to his followers and a challenge to go into all the world. The progression of Matthew is one who comes who conquered sin and death, who trains disciples to go after him, and then leaves and proclaims that he will be with us. And so the invitation is that we carry this mission that came in the first century into all of eternity. This book is written to his followers to tell us what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The progression of the book is one that it charges the people of God to carry on the character of God through the mission of God. And so wherever we sit today, we are called to emulate and carry out the character of God on mission. How does this revolution happen? Friends, it comes from bankers who seek, who humble themselves and surrenders. 
It comes from stay-at-home moms who seek after Jesus, who humble themselves and surrender. It comes from pastors who seek after Jesus, who humble themselves, who surrender to him. It comes from accountants who seek after Jesus, who humble themselves and surrender to him. It comes from grandparents who seek after Jesus, who humble themselves and who surrender. It comes after husbands and wives who seek after Jesus, who humble themselves and surrender. Do you get the point of this? The kingdom of heaven comes when we as the people of God seek with everything that we have to follow in the footsteps of this Jesus who has gone before us, who has saved us, who has defeated the grave. And we live out his character in the present until the day that he comes. And the promise that we are given at the conclusion of this story of Jesus, according to Matthew, is that as you seek to live out this life that God has called you to, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so our invitation this morning is very simple. Will we humble ourselves? Will we surrender ourselves? And when we seek after this God who places a call on our lives. The revolution of Jesus is boring and mundane. It's not something radical. It's not something that gets a lot of publicity. Nor should it. Because it takes place in the ordinary mundane spaces of everyday life. In the same way that Jesus was born into an ordinary mundane manger. In an ordinary, mundane town of Bethlehem. Not in Jerusalem in the palace, but in the stable of Bethlehem. Friends, we serve a revolution that's signified by the stable of Bethlehem. Not by the palace of Jerusalem. It's a tough call. It's a tough call on our lives. But yet with that promise of Jesus, of lo, I am with you always we are able to bring his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, we just come before you right now. And Lord, as we come to your table this morning, Lord, we know that this kingdom that you're building is one that you invite us to join in on. That God, it's not a kingdom of our own strength. In fact, it's a kingdom of laying down our strength so that your strength may pick us up. Father, we just come right now and we beg that you would use us. That as we pray the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That Lord, that would come because we are seeking after you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, we come to this table each and every week because it's a heavy burden to bear that we can't bear on our own. And so, Father, will you give us the strength and the power? Will you give us the hope to take this gospel to the rest of the world? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.